If you please remain standing for the reading of God's Word, we are in Numbers 3. We're continuing through um, this new series, looking at a, a rather large section of chapters 3 to 4. Basically looking at who are these Levites and why are they having so much fun? I hope in a way that a bunch of dots will be connected for us that we understand Numbers fits into a larger story. And if we don't see that, then this is just simply arcane historical information. But it is not because it is the drama of redemption of which this plays a part. If you would then join with me in prayer for the reading of God's word. Father, we do ask that you help us by your spirit to be in awe of you this day. Put your law in our hearts and write it upon our minds. Let your word come with power and help us receive it in love with attentive and reverent and teachable souls. Through your word, allow us to taste the flavor of eternal life, which we have through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Beginning in verse 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over all the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens a womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine. For all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both man and a beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. By way of quick summary, Israel has left Egypt. The exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea are behind them. And they have now been about a year at Mount Sinai, camped in a fairly barren region for a year with thousands of people. No doubt that was less than ideal. And while they're there, they constructed everything necessary for the tabernacle. That's Israel's portable temple tent to the Lord. It's a, the motorhome version that would go with them until a permanent place could be built. And this is going to take some time, depending on how you date the Exodus, 450 to 250 years for this temporary structure. They're getting ready to go forward and to claim the inheritance that the Lord has promised them. Again, what can seem like rather mundane part of Scripture for us was vitally important for them as they organized to move forward. The Lord would go with Israel every step of the way. The tabernacle was the very presence of the Lord in the middle of their camp. A holy God dwelling in the midst of an unholy people. One writer put it like this, to combine divine holiness and human sin in this way is like putting a huge fiery oven in the middle of a firework factory. You're going to need more than simply a danger, no smoking sign. The Levites, are a part of that safety team to help ensure that the fire and the gunpowder don't come together. And what we see here then is this interplay throughout the whole Bible. 
the tension between God's holiness and human sinfulness. How is God going to be with his people? And this tension does not get resolved until the incarnation. We, we hear in John's gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt means tabernacle or pitched the tent among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And because our God is holy and righteous, his presence dwelling in us brings the problem of our sin forward. He must change our hearts and atone for our sins. From the sin of Adam and Eve, what we see in Genesis 3, the Bible, it speaks of this unfolding drama of human salvation. It's the drama of God not giving up on his people. How is he going to be present with them? How is he going to come alongside and lovingly guide and direct a wayward people who've been running and hiding from him since the headwaters of creation. We we know in Genesis he came to one man, Abraham, and he builds a relationship with him. That special relationship is called a covenant. Uh, The closest example we have of that is a marriage covenant. Vows and promises are made. a, A formal bond is forged. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Abraham, then his son Isaac, Then his son Jacob, they all said to the Lord, I do. And last week I read from Exodus 19, when all the people of Israel are gathered around Mount Sinai and they hear the promises and the vows and all of Israel said to the Lord, essentially, I do. From one man to a family, to a tribe, to a nation. God is calling people to himself. He's promising to be present with his people. And the end goal was always greater than Israel. God had a global goal. And that was nothing short of bringing his wayward creation back to himself, restored, reunited in bonds of love. The book of Numbers moves this goal forward. The book of Numbers shows us the struggle of the human heart. And here in chapters 3 and 4, we find out more about getting to that goal through the tribe of Levi as we consider why the Levites. In verse 1, it opens to say the generations of Aaron and Moses, the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. It's a familiar phrase from Genesis that these are the generations of. And it's speaking now specifically of Aaron. From Aaron, who is of the tribe of Levi, come the priests. And we read in verse 5, the Lord told Moses to bring the tribe of Levi near to set them before Aaron the priest that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people. You shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons as they shall guard their priesthood. If any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. Only one family of all of the Levites were to be priests, Aaron's family. The rest were given special tasks of of working to support the tabernacle and everything that included, as well as guarding it. They are to keep the furnace and the fireworks separate. Why the Levites? In verse 11, the Lord told Moses, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn. The Levites shall be mine, 
for all the firstborn are mine. And then he reminds them of the Exodus. When I struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own the firstborn in Israel, both a man and a beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. God's judgment fell on the Egyptians who had hardened their hearts against him. And in his mercy, he passed over the firstborn of Israel. The the blood on the door. It was the Lord who set them free from slavery, who redeemed them. The declaration, the dedication of the firstborn was a vivid reminder of all that the Lord had done for them. We, we hear the words of the psalmist in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Everything belongs to God. And in this firstborn dedication, as well as the giving of tithes, a giving back to the Lord is a reminder that everything we have is a gift from him. Specifically, the whole tribe of Levi becomes a substitute for the rest of Israel. And so a census is taken of all the families. And it goes on to tell us that the Levites, instead of the firstborn among you, their cattle, everything, there's to be a one-to-one correspondence. The Levites are mine. And the redemption price, over and above the number of male Levites, you shall take as five shekels per head, and that money shall be given to Aaron and his sons as a redemption price. So what do we see right off the bat? The theme of substitution and redemption. Redemption by payment, the way of sacrifice is being set forward. The Levites experience, as it were, a death. They're not given a tribal inheritance, we'll find out later, like the rest of Israel. All the other tribes all get a portion of land, but they're not. They are actually scattered into all the other tribes. And in this, they are going to be of service to the Lord. You may recall back in Genesis 49, Jacob is about to die. And what he does, he gathers his 12 sons and he blesses them. He pronounces blessing and some judgment to some of them. There we see that Joseph gets a double blessing. He becomes two tribes, not just one. And in a a way here, we see Levi is actually subtracted, at least from the land inheritance. And this is what Jacob says of two of his sons. Genesis 49, he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. For in their anger they killed men. In their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob, and I will scatter them in Israel. This comes from the story in Genesis 34 of these two brothers essentially killing the inhabitants of Shechem, a small village. The same blessing that Jacob gives to Judah where the royal scepter is given to him, and in this same moment, he scatters Levi and Simeon. The tribe of Simeon actually later be absorbed into Judah. But Levi's curse here in Genesis 49, God actually turns around. He takes from this curse and he puts it into a blessing. Basically, Levi, the tribe, will be the pastors, the teachers, the temple servants for all of Israel. It's another scene we see where where God takes what is meant to be ill and turns it into what in his hands is good. God alone can redeem a curse. And he does so for an entire tribe to be a blessing 
to his people. And then as we go forward, we ask the question, well, why, why the, all the structure and why all the order? Verse chapter uh, 4 tells us that they have different jobs according to their tribes. There are three major families, uh, sons of Kohath, Gershom, and Merari. And each one of them is given a different responsibility with the tabernacle. If you're ages 30 to 50 as a man, you're called to serve in the tabernacle. And the order is given for the smooth running of the camp while it is at rest and an order while the camp is at march. Merari, we're told, their clan in verse 31, chapter 4, they're given the tabernacle, the frames, all, all the structures around it, the equipment, their accessories. The Gershon clan, they're told to actually carry the, the tents themselves, all the veils and the things that separate the tabernacle parts and ropes. And all of that is their responsibility. Kohath are given the responsibility of the most holy things. The priests are to cover it with a cloth and then a covering of leather to give it to them to carry. And what we see is God is present symbolically in the tent and in the tabernacle. The priests, they oversee the worship service. The Levites help them with all the logistics of this. They all serve as a buffer, a guard around the holiness of the tabernacle. The closer you come to God's presence, the more accountable you are. At the start of chapter 3, when it mentions Aaron, it mentions all of his children. These are the names of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priest who he ordained to serve as priest. And then we read this in verse 4. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. That's, that account is given in Leviticus 10. The closer you come to the presence of God, the more accountable you are. They went off script, and there was a price to pay for that because of God's holiness. And immediately, though, with this, we we see a a question of human nature arise. Now, think about it. What happens when you're told not to do something or when you're told to do something? Hey, we're just about to have dinner. Put the chips away. We're just about to have dinner. Please set the table. I don't know about you, but I want to eat the chips. In fact, now I want to eat them more than I did before. They're more inviting to me. And I don't want to set the table. In fact, it seems a little unfair that I have to help all the time. Now, maybe that's just me, but I doubt it. Think about it. Nothing kills the desire to read a a really, really good book like a teacher assigning it for homework. Why is that? Oh, I can't wait to read this. I'll read chapters three to four. Oh, man. And you're going to read it anyways. When you're told not to do something, when you're told to do something, there's this this innate desire to do the opposite. And what we see in Numbers later is some of the Levites rebelling against Moses over this very thing. And later in Israel's history, we see King Jeroboam set up two alternate worship sites with golden calves. And and then there's this curious line in 1 Kings 12, verse 31. It says, Jeroboam also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people 
who were not of the Levites. That was considered a great sin. A pastor friend of mine, Dave Klein, he, talking about numbers, he reminded me that the Bible keeps people from resentment even though they have limitations placed on them. We'll look later. Number six, we'll introduce the Nazarite vow, which anyone can take to dedicate themselves in a special way to God. There is an equality given to all the tribes of Israel that they are all included as the people of God, even when their religious distinctions are present. There's an equality even with the difference. We know the royal line of Judah, only from Judah was the king. We also know that the priestly line is only from Levi of Aaron's family. And yet, there were judges from different tribes of Israel, included Deborah. There are male and female prophets from different tribes. Old Testament scholar Ian Duguid reminds us, he said, those who are leaders in ministry do not appoint themselves. They are called by God to serve him and his people. God calls people in his service. And for his purposes, the Lord called Levi to serve in a special way. No doubt, there were some from Levi who thought, oh my goodness, this is so unfair. This is such a burden to me personally. Why do I have to carry this stuff? And no doubt, there were some from another tribe who thought the calling of Levi was unfair and burdensome to them personally who said, why can't I carry this stuff? That's human nature. And a lesson in human nature that we need to learn is we don't have to have full understanding before we obey God. We don't, know, we don't have to know how it makes sense before we obey. I'm not saying things don't make sense. I'm saying that we don't have to first know before we do what we're called to. Genesis 2, the Lord speaks to Adam and Eve. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Why not? Is it poisonous? Will it make me sick? Are the leaves like poison ivy and make me itch? Doesn't look that much different than the other kinds of trees. This doesn't make sense to me. Why can't I do what I want? Why are you oppressing me by limiting my options? Who are you to tell me what I can and cannot eat? I'll show you. The book of Numbers, we see the same kind of thinking along the way. In our own lives, we see the same kind of thinking along the way. How is God going to be present with his people if they continually are setting fire to the gunpowder to their own harm? like watching someone, you know, stab their, their leg with a fork, complaining about the pain. And you're like, uh, why don't you stop stabbing yourself? Oh, I can't believe you would say that to me. How dare you? Can't you see how much I'm hurting? That's us. We do it all the time. For God to be present with us, he's going to have to take care of the sin problem. He's going to have to substitute his son, the firstborn, for us. Jesus will have to bear the burden of the sacrifice once and for all. He will have to purchase our redemption. 
to buy us with his price. That's where Numbers is taking us. That's what's connecting all the dots. Even as we heard in our scripture of exhortation that we're not to have an evil and unbelieving heart like they did in the wilderness. That we are to, to come near and to share in Christ. That it is through Jesus once and for all that these things, the writer of Hebrews tells us, were shadows and copies. Everything in the tabernacle, all the temple stuff, all that's just shadows and copies that are pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus completed them, that priesthood ended once and for all because it's no longer necessary. Why? Because of the final work of Christ. It's in Him. The problem of God's holiness And our gunpowder can finally come together once and for all because he deals with our sin. And then we are called then to walk in the newness of life and obedience to him, even as we learn and and grow along the way, maybe not knowing everything fully, but we step forward in fresh obedience because of what he has done. That joy is put in our hearts. We're, We're no longer trying to accomplish and, and prove to him that somehow we're worthy of our unworthiness. Saying, you, you couldn't do it. I completed. I never left you, people. I was here the whole time. And all of this was leading up to the revelation of my love for you and my son. Who has laid down his life willingly. So that you could approach me without fear of death. That you now are holy because of the holiness of Christ, His righteousness given to us. This is where Numbers is going. And if we fail to see how all this interlocks, we're just left with arcane Bible stories that don't make much sense to us until we step back and we, we look at the beauty and the joy of this tapestry of redemption that God has woven from creation to revelation. And when you step back, you see Jesus in the midst of it. He is the one on display. He is the one that this book is about, that God does not leave his people. And that's good news for us because we're a faithless bunch who are constantly being called back to covenant renewal through the personal work of Jesus. Pray with me. Father, indeed, we are so grateful for what you have done for us, for our behalf. And Father, we ask that not only you would forgive us, Lord, where we are constantly questioning you, constantly complaining, but Father, that you would set us on a new path, that you would continue to put before us the wonder and the joy of Jesus. And Father, I would pray that if there are any here who do not know, Father, your Son in this way, I would ask, ask that you would grant them saving faith, that you would open their eyes to see the glory and the majesty of Christ, his finished work on their behalf. We bless you. We adore you. We give you all praise, glory, and honor. And this we offer to you through Jesus, our risen Lord. Could you please stand together as we sing, Only a Holy